Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jay. Hello, Sophie. How are we today? Oh, we're really good today. How are you? You're sitting right next to me. Usually you're at home doing in- our intros. I know normally we're via correspondence, but we're together. Yeah, we're up close and personal. Um, firstly, I just want to say... I stink, I think. Why? Well, because I, we, I went <laughs> to the farm this morning. My friend was like, let's go to the farm. It's a really cozy morning. The forecast said it was going to be oh. like 22 degrees and like storms coming in at 10 a.m. And I was like, oh, that sounds so nice. Anyway, dressed the entire family in fucking jeans. It was, spoiler alert, not 22 degrees at all. It is like, it feels like 45. It is so humid and glary. Like Pops is like, mum, did you pack our hats? I was like, no, like it was meant to be gloom and doom but cozy and nice and it was not that so I'm sweating I'm in jeans I just I'm surprised I haven't taken them off yet actually take them to off, be honest. Babe, take I them know off. how are you I'm good I just want to say a massive sorry in advance to everyone this who is, is going to be my low who is about to listen to this episode it is probably one of our best episodes and ironically like a minute before we went on this call we had a audio technician help us out to get it perfect and he's like yep everything's perfect and then we recorded long story short our editor said something went wrong it went crackly on our end we think one of the cords we are in a stadium yeah we think one of the cords was not properly plugged in so our entire mic recording was crackling but don't worry we haven't used that that was unusable so we had to use our zoom recording and at the start it is a little bit annoying but we promise you get used to it and Elise's recording is perfect Perfect. it's been like one of our best guest recordings yeah and then we just sound like a little bit echoey and no, we sound like we're in a stadium waiting for the wiggles. It's concert. not that bad, all right? Let people keep listening. Okay. Otherwise, everyone's just going to turn it off. But, of course, this happened on the weekend that Nick, my husband, was going away for four days. So I couldn't, we just didn't have it in us, mental load, of course, to re-record it. But And we also loved that, like, our responses were natural in how we would respond to the questions. So we felt like if we re-recorded it, we would lose that. Yeah. But I promise you totally get used to it. I feel like we're making it sound worse than it was. If you listened to us at the start of when we brought out this podcast, the audio then was yeah. still way worse than this one. Way so worse. if you could get through that, you can get through this. And I promise it's worth it. At least Stop promising. Just, just let them listen. You, you're you're underplaying it and I'm making promises. So anyway, so what else have you got for us today? Okay, so I went to an event last night and it was really nice, really fun, blah, blah, blah. But while we're sitting there, I was there with my sister-in-law and she <laughs> opened up her Instagram and there was like this message from an account saying, I think it was 
uh, toes only, so like <laughs> or only toes, like only fans, only but for toes, for toes. And she had a look. There were photos of her toes on this account. And to make it worse, this account, the main description, the bio is deleted at 4K. Like that's not an achievement that you your account was deleted at 4,000 followers and now you're back again. So that was an alarm bell. And I said to Greta, you need to get that off. It's not acceptable. And she's like, oh, I think she's just really loves toes and she just really likes Wait, this. Wait, so, okay, so they've gone into Greta's account, found pictures that her Way toes back. feature in. Yeah, yeah. Screenshotted them and like zoomed in, is it? Yeah. Yeah. And so she's like, And what do people comment on the pictures? Like, are they like, yeah, that's like, look, I'm happy for you to have whatever kink you want, but I just think that people should know if their toes are being served up on the buffet. Well, her toes were served up on the buffet and multiple times. Does she have nice feet? She has hideous feet. (laughs) And the thing is, the thing is, this is why it's so ridiculously funny because she is paranoid about her feet. She has bunions, so they are not okay. She No, but some people might like that. It's like extra of course, extra love it. <laughs> but she just has these toes that she's always yeah. had a thing about. Anyway, so she says, "Do you mind taking this down? I don't feel comfortable with my toes being on your account." And she said, "Yeah, that's fine, but I've noticed you're out with a couple of friends. Would you mind just sending a photo of what your friend's toes look like? And I said to Greta, I'm pretty sure this is a guy. Like, I'm not really thinking this is a girl having a toe fetish. It is a guy. But what made you think it was a girl to start with? She thought it was a girl. She just assumed, didn't even think that it would be some creepy-ass bastard wanting some toe porn. And I said, hello, this is not okay. So she... Wait, wait, wait. Stop. (laughs) This is not okay no matter who it is. I know. So we took a photo. I sprawled out my my toes just to make it, you know, like give someone some real good footage. Did you ask for payment? Wait for it. Mum put her toes in. Greta put her toes in too. And we sent it just into a DM. And he said... Oh my gosh, whose toes are the ones in the blue on the left? And once again, they were Greta's. So he's obviously got this thing with bunions. And Greta was just mortified to the point where she said, look, I don't feel comfortable. I think this is quite wrong, actually. And he said, can I please have a video? And she said, I'm not going to give you a video. And I said, Greta, Ask, Ask for, for some money. money. Get like a hundred bucks and just send him a little wiggle of your toes and see what happens. He sends a message and says, don't think that I'm a creep. I'm just a 23-year-old guy that absolutely adores toes. And he sends and I think that's fine, a pe- bicep photo, him and just his bicep with some feral tattoo on his bicep. Of toes. No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> on his bicep, just like that, right? So it's not a foot on his face. It's no foot. Oh, my God. So then he says, I don't have money um, to send. Can you give me a sneak peek? Sneak peek. (laughs) Sneak peek. And she said, no, like you, like 
this is effort for me. I'm not going to give you a free video of my feet. And then I said to Greta, fuck, why doesn't he just Google toes and just get it over and done with? Like, you know. Yeah, but I think maybe it's like OnlyFans that people want like a relation, like a, oh. like to, to have a personal relationship with the person. Like he knows what's on the other end of those bunion feet. Yeah, like. Yes, like have a good flex and just you know pick up. So what pick happened? Up a cigarette did she send? Did it? she send? It so to, I've, are the toes picking up the cigarette? I don't know where you're going. Yeah, that's what. I'm yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I could do that. Like I can pick up things from my toes. I can show you. We'll do a bit of footage next week. Not for free. Not for free. Not for free. <laughs> but for our newsletter, we might do that for free. Oh yeah, yeah that's totally. the kind of thing you yeah. get when you sign up to our newsletter. <laughs> you get free foot content. <laughs> Don't say we don't treat you good. Okay, so then he sends another DM saying, okay, that's all right. I'm just going to sit here. And he had a photo of him with a selfie with his hand nearly into his pants. Like, I don't know what was going on. He was whacking off to her feet. Whacking off to her feet. Like having a good old whack off to her toenails and her bunion. And I said, you could even get my mother-in-law involved. She's got more bunions than you. Like you could do this combination and like get this mother-daughter bunion. Yeah, like a story, you know, like big fetish. Anyway, then I Googled it on the way home because I said to mum, it just doesn't say, I don't, I actually want to know why, why people have this fetish with feet. Like I don't understand the connection. Apparently it's got to do with something in your brain that is really close to the toe and foot connection and that somehow can be a turn on. I have this thing where I, it's not a sexual thing, it's a comfort thing. I love putting my feet on people like it makes me I'm not a super affectionate person but I would rather sit on the couch with my feet on my husband than spoon like I find it really connecting or like if I'm sitting in the back seat of my car of the car my brother always gives me shit because I like always have my feet up on the like center console thing I know it's really dangerous but if I'm in the passenger seat like I love having my feet up on the dash I just love my feet no 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 (laughs) but but I don't want people to put their feet on me and I don't find feet sexy I'm just like I feel a closeness with putting my my feet no, I would never touch your feet, but I would, What's I would have, I would, because I just don't, I don't want to touch other people's feet. But like, if someone gave me a foot massage, that is so nice. Yeah. Like but like, my too. husband doesn't suck my toes or anything. Well, but I've never tried it. I might actually quite <laughs> like it. Right, this is getting way out of hand. Now, I do have a Rudolph Fabulous for you. And no, I, like, I mean, our whole episode so far has been Rudolph Rude. Fabulous. But this one got sent in in response to last week's Rudolph Fabulous, which was about our dear friend Shay. Uh, leaving her landing strip on in her bikini shave and her son telling the entire daycare centre about it. So this is keeping on Shay's vaginal theme. I have to retell my mother-in-law's story. She was in a tile shop in line behind a mother. Her four-year-old son was snuggling into her when he loudly declares, mom, your vagina stinks. (laughs) She was so embarrassed and quickly was served and got out. My mother-in-law was next to be served. She paid and went. She later got her email from the store, which was addressed to Vagina. Her name is actually Virginia, but obviously the poor guy behind the desk had something else on his mind. (laughs) 
there is honestly nothing fabulous about being told that your vagina stinks. Go on, tell them the story that you were you said no. last week. You said it last week. To you, have you to. I know. Okay, this is something that I just thought would go in the vault and <laughs> only be told to you, but I should know from now on that anything told to you is then told to, to whoever everybody. wants to listen. It wasn't the proudest moment. Okay, look, <laughs> I swear by period undies and just this day I just hadn't changed them in time. I was about to get in the shower. I was about to change my period undies. It was like the second day of my period, not the second day of wearing those period undies, just the second day of my period. So any women, which is most of you listening, know that, oh, shit, this is an episode that we're asking a lot of people to get their partners to listen to. Anyway, partners, sorry about this, but you do need to know about your partner's cycle. So and Sophie's. It, and mine. <laughs> Everyone needs to know about mine. Anyway, I was lying down in bed getting ready for Poppy to get into bed and for me to lie down with her while she went to sleep. Anyway, she got into bed and she turns to me and goes, Mom, what smells like dead fish? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. Like, I don't even think she's smelt dead fish before. And I was like, what do you mean, honey? Nothing. And she's like, no, what is that? Something smells like dead fish. Anyway, I promptly got up and said to Nick, you can put that fucking kid to bed. I'm <laughs> off to have a shower. <laughs> the things we go through. I know. Do you have any mum hacks for us? Okay. This is a mum hack that came in. Here's a hack that saved me a lot of time and headaches. And it was actually my four-year-old son's idea. I used to dread giving him a bath because I knew I was going to have to beg and plead and eventually threaten him to get him to let me wash his hair. One night after I used the threat of, all right, you put your head in that water and get it wet or no story. He sat up and said, mum, can I use my swim goggles? And we haven't had a problem since. Oh, you're raising an absolute child genius. That person's going to be a billionaire. I don't know. (laughs) He's going to be a professional swimmer. I don't know. He's going to be something. (laughs) And have really clean hair. (laughs) All right. So this episode, is I want a banger. to. I, Do not turn it off. Don't turn it off. You can you can skip past all this, but you've already listened to it, so there's no going back. I want to say before Sophie just explains what this is. I tried a few of these communication methods that Elise shared with us in this episode with my husband yesterday. And I tried to keep my calm and we went a bit back and forth. But once it sunk into him, he turned around and said, I love you. I'm sorry. I'm actually going to take that on board as my job. And today he got up and he got me a coffee. He did the kids cereals. He did the kitchen and I did another job instead of all of it. And How good. No, no, no. It is a game How changer. would a conversation like that have usually gone for you? I'm so fucking sick and tired of always waking up before you and getting everything done and then you coming out of bed and, and then whinging him banging and complaining on the defense and saying, the conversation. I haven't had a good sleep. It's only seven o'clock, blah, blah, blah. And instead... He now knows we get up, 50-50 we have the kids, so we get up and he has his role from start to finish. He has to make the kids breakfast, make me a coffee, and the kitchen needs to be clean. That's his job every morning, Mm -hmm. start to finish. Don't ask me a question about it. I will do 
Laying in bed. No, I will do. <laughs> I'll <laughs> lay in bed, have a fat. How big your flaps, girl? I will. Eleven in the wind. Get it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry. The only chance that men have a chance of coming on here listening and this is what they get. Yeah, they fucking deserve it. Yeah, you fucking idiots. No, I have, I will get up, do the kids' clothes, do their lunches, do all the other things, the billions of other things that are going through my head and now... We have no fights and arguments. And the one, the one got? morning you've done it, it's just been perfect. Guess what he got? What he got a little bit of a present in return. Did he? He did. Wow! Already? Already? Wow! See, it's a quick turnaround, men. Yeah. Just <laughs> do do what we ask, and you, you'll get what you want. <laughs> All right, tell them what the episode. Okay, about. so we chatted to Elise today. She is a psychologist, and she is doing a PhD around the mental labor for parents, specifically those I think when they're returning to work and um, having two working parents in the household. But in saying that, we chatted about stay-at-home mums, stay-at-home dads everything. So Mm. we think that there's been so many good tips around communication in general, how you can share the load, how you can explain what that mental load is like. Yeah, I absolutely loved this chat. Hello, Elise. Thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. Um, For our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what your area of interest is and what we're going to chat about today? Absolutely. It's so great to be here. I'm a psychologist and have been for close to 10 years now. And I've also just coming to the end of a PhD where I've looked at the mental labor that couples share as parents in particular and um, have a nine-week-old baby myself. So living the very things that I've been researching and supporting people with. And so, yeah, here today to talk a lot about the mental load that mothers particularly experience and some things we can do to start improving that in your relationship. And what kind of sparked your interest in it? Because obviously when you got started, like you wouldn't have had a baby yet. Did you kind of see through women that you were working with or partners that you were working with that this was obviously an important area or, or what kind of led to this research? So absolutely. It come directly out of my clinical experience. So working with a lot of women and when they were returning to work after having their babies, they were really struggling. And that wasn't just sort of at a practical level, but also in terms of feeling really burnt out and overwhelmed and really frazzled and had really capable involved partners as well. And it sort of got me thinking, and this was before mental labor was really something we were widely discussing. So I went on a bit of a search to kind of try and get my head around what else might be at play for these women? And um, this mental load was really what I sort of thought was going on. And um, yeah, that led me to, to starting the PhD and trying to really accelerate the academic research. It's been talked about a lot on podcasts and in books, but the academic stuff was really lagging. So yeah, that, that's what motivated me to look at it. Well, we are so grateful to have you on today to have a chat and answer all the questions that came in from our listeners. Um, I think what we're going to do is start with how we can get our partners to understand. Um, in previous episodes that we've put out, uh, A Mother's Mental Load and Mum Rage, we actually referred to our brains as internet browsers, like constantly having tabs open. How can we better explain to our partners what a mother's mental load actually looks and feels like? 
Yeah, this is the million dollar question, really, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. Oh, damn, you can't just give it to us in a sentence. <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, there's two really key parts, I think. One is that, that the challenge with mental load is it's invisible, right? It's going on in our brains. And unlike unstacking the dishwasher or, you know, um, buying the baby some new clothes, it's not so visible to the other person. And so that's one of the hardest parts about getting your partner to understand is it's going on in our minds. The other part is that mental labor is really multifaceted. So that's one of the things that my research kind of stumbled on, I guess, is that there's these components to mental labor. I think when we understand those, it gives us an even better ability to convey that to our partners. So I'll give you an example. If you think about um, this happened to me a couple of days ago, I'm newly at home with my little bub after my partner's gone back to work and I realized he needed some clothes for his next size, right? And so that's a, a monitoring step is what I call that. So it required me paying attention when I'm changing him, thinking about the upcoming seasons, paying attention to maybe our budget, thinking about schedules, and then identifying a problem. That's the other piece. So the problem is he needs some new clothes. I don't have enough for when he's a slightly bit bigger and the weather's a bit cooler. And so once I've identified the problem, I can start seeking some information. So that's another really big part of mental labor. And that might mean chatting to some girlfriends who have had babies. It might mean doing some research because I haven't bought clothes for, you know, a three-month-old baby before. So I've got to upskill in that. I've then got to do some planning, right? When can I go and buy these? Where's going to have some sales on at the time? And stepping through those sorts of pieces before Wait, I even am get. Am I going to have to take Bob? Is exactly. Bob going to be having a nap go in the time? car? Yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. All of those base pieces, and that's before I've even actually gone and purchased those, let alone washed them and put them away and had them there ready to use. I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired. Stressed. I'm having an anxiety attack, and it is all too much. My palms are sweating. Exactly, and it's such a simple thing, right? That wasn't stressful. Yeah. That wasn't burdensome. Them, let alone some of the other mental labor that we all do. And that's one thought. That's it. One thought, one thought and one kind of simple task. And so when we understand all of those little bits and pieces, we can then sit down. So partner come home and I said, hey, look what I did today. Look at this bottom drawer full of clothes for the next size. And, you know, he's fairly educated on the topic, having walked through it with me. But for him to fully appreciate that, I, ne I needed to be able to say, hey, here's what went into that so that that labour is kind of acknowledged and valued rather than just being overlooked as something fairly simple. And then when you take that across everything that goes in a day, let alone a week for children and the household more generally, it's a lot. But one of the key ways to get partners to understand the extent of the, lo the load that we're carrying as mothers, particularly when you're home more with your child. And so doing, you know, much more of that hands-on hour after hour care, the mental load is huge. So making it visible by stepping them through all of those pieces, that helps them value it. And then that's going to be one of the biggest catalysts to getting them also to share that better with you where you need to sort of redistribute distribute it to lessen your load a bit. And it's one of the things that really come up was couples where both had had a period of being a primary carer. So whether that was a few months at a time, depending on their circumstance, or say both had gone back to work, but they each had a day a week with the kids, that seemed to make a really big difference where couples were able to do that, right? And fortunate enough to have that set up for really being able to share the mental load better. But even just solo periods of caring are massive at doing that, particularly if 
you get into the practice, right, of not you know leaving a lengthy list as you walk out the door and or doing kind of a proper handover. So the other analogy I think is really handy there is thinking about sort of what we'd do in a work setting. So if you were, you know, off work for a couple of days and, and someone was stepping into your shoes, you would do a little bit of a handover so that they've got a template, I guess, to work from. And you don't want to be doing that on repeat because that's just extra load on top of what you're already carrying. But if it's something that's going to happen a bit more permanently, it's a really good, you know, more bang for your buck in the long term to take that time in the first instance to hand over. Because I think it can be a catch-22 because I think that it's so important to allow your partner to care for your children in the way that they want to care for them. Like I think it's pretty off-putting to a partner if they're looking after them and you're telling them, you know, obviously telling them their nap schedule or, you know, what they generally have for lunch and where that is or whatever is important. But I think you've also got to give them some autonomy and freedom over that. Otherwise, it's going to be pretty unenjoyable for them. But I think on the other side of things, often we say to our partners or feel so lucky when our partners look after our children for two hours, but their expectation, like generally in that time, we've not only looked after the children, like we've done all the laundry or or you know we've we've helped this and done that and often we're just happy if they mind the children it doesn't matter if we come home and the house is a bomb and like no one's thought about dinner and and no washing's been done so it can be a catch-22 where you don't want to be that person saying you need to do this 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 and this and this is the way that this is done but you also don't want to come home and be like further behind than if you had have just stayed home in the first place. Absolutely. It's a tricky one. And I think sometimes checking in with your partner too about their sort of style is, is really helpful. So do you want me to give you a bit of a play-by-play or do you want just the broad strokes and you can figure out the rest yourself? That can sometimes help, but it is certainly... I mean, I think one of the questions that come through is around the different expectations that we have of of women and of men and particularly of mothers and of fathers and why that kind of is. And as a society, we hold them to different standards still. I mean, that's changing, but there are still different standards. There was some research a couple of years ago that had couples, sorry, had participants respond to a picture of a messy room and changed whether they said that room belonged to a woman or a man. And the character judgments about that person, depending on their gender, very hugely. Women were kind of lazy and all these sorts of things, but men weren't thought of any differently when they were the ones who owned the messy room. And it's a small example, but it speaks to the different ways, the different standards we have for men and women. I saw a meme yesterday and it was all these toys on a staircase and the dad walks over it and then the mother picks it up while she's carrying the child and walks up the stairs. And I laughed because it, it is, it's, it's, you know, regardless of us wanting to not be sexist, I definitely think that there is an absolute difference between a man and a woman's mind. Is that a scientific fact? They're more similar than they are different, but there are differences. But a lot of the differences are definitely around the kind of socio-cultural expectations, right? So it's not necessarily, you know, biological, but there's certainly differences. The one interesting thing, though, one of the interesting findings from my research actually was that men actually carry a lot more of the household mental labor and women much more of the child-related mental load. And this is my research was in heterosexual couples, haven't had a chance to look at it in other um, couple types yet. But in those dynamics, there was this split. And I think a lot of that starts in pregnancy. 
um, you know, when you're the one directly carrying the baby, you tend to start to initiate research and start to be the, the expert and therefore the one who is asked questions and has answers. And then that gap just widens and widens in most couples as children get older unless there's a conscious redistribution of who thinks about what. So there is mental labor that a lot of men are doing around the household. They're not always as able to articulate it as women. They're sort of a bit lagging maybe in that in that language. But the child-related mental load is so much more significant for women. But I, I do agree with what you said about maybe it being more of a societal thing that leads to the differences in men and women because I feel like you know, if we've got friends coming around for dinner, I feel like if the house is a mess, that is a reflection on me. That's not a reflection on my husband. Or if we go to a kid's birthday party and we rock up empty-handed and don't have a present, like that's a reflection on me. No one's going to be like, oh, Nick forgot to get a birthday present and things like that. And I also think because they're applauded for so much more than we are. Like I've used this example quite a few times on the podcast, but like I remember when Poppy was like six weeks old and we were on a flight and Nick got up and changed her nappy. And this woman next to us was like, oh my gosh, what an incredible hands-on dad for changing her nappy. And I was like, you have seen him change one nappy and he is and I hate the term hands-on dad because no one ever says hands-on mom <laughs> and no one ever says working dad they say working mom and hands-on dad but he is very present because we 50-50 parent and 50-50 work but like no one ever asks him when he's out and about like where are the kids or who's watching the kids or like no one's ever like oh my god you're so lucky that Sophie took the kids to swimming lessons today like and so of course they have less of a load because I feel like the, the gratitude on. and the validation they get for the tasks they do is there if someone thanked me for the tasks I did I feel like the mental load would be so much more bearable yeah being acknowledged for the load we carry is, I'm is spiraling <laughs> being being acknowledged for the load we carry is absolutely a critical part of it and like we we're talking about earlier that's why making it more visible particularly to your partner is so important so that you do get that appreciation from them as well but otherwise it can feel like a pretty thankless job now how do you help your partner understand what is important to you even if they see no value in it and i laughed at this when it came in because someone said for an example birthday cards this is a massive one for me I don't need a present, but I need the thought. And the thought is the card and what's written in it. And it took my partner years to understand that that's really all I wanted because it made me feel like he was thinking of me. But there was other ones that came in, like a clean kitchen, putting washing in the basket, not on the floor, like two centimetres away from the basket. Simple, <laughs> simple things that would actually make our lives a hell of a lot easier if those tiny elements were done. There's a real risk that they who cares least wins sometimes in these debates. So if you're the person with the lowest standard, um, well, why should I do more? Because you're the one with the highest standard, right? And it's a bit of a slippery slope that we want to really kind of avoid. But the thing that I think comes up a bit that can be really helpful is having sort of five or six wild cards, if you like, and they're your, my values get to trump here. So if there's a few really high ticket things that are so important to you, even if your partner doesn't value them in the same way, because you're on the same team and because they love and care about you, that that should be part of an overt conversation that those things get to occur, irrespective 
irrespective of their valuing. Well, like a birthday, a birthday card's once a year, like, you know, I'm not asking for much. Yeah, and I guess when it's something like that that's once a year, how do you get them to form that habit? So, for example, I feel like if it's not a high value to you, it's harder to form the habit. It really is. And then as the other person, you just end up feeling like a nagger. I think that there's some really unsexy conversations here that can pay off. And what I mean yeah. by that is having super detailed conversations and getting into the nitty gritty of the why and helping the person set up a process. And again, this is the initial extra work for hopefully a lot less down the track. A birthday card's a pretty tricky one. Um, <laughs> what but- about washing on the floor? Let's let's move to that one because that, that's a daily occurrence. And I don't know if this is bad, but with the washing, I ended up going... I'm going to pick my battle with this. So my husband does all the cooking. So I've decided that my domain is doing the laundry and I don't care. Like, that's fine. I feel like that's quite an even split. You have to cook every day. You have to wash clothes every day, whatever. And I used to get angry with him because I would say I've taken the time to like wash the clothes, dry them, fold them. All I ask is that you put them away. And he's like, but I don't really, like me not putting them away is not being ungrateful for what you've done. I still really appreciate the fact that I have clean clothes. It's just like, it's just as convenient for me to grab it from here than from in the cupboard. And I was like, but it literally gives me an aneurysm looking at them in the corner. So I just started to put it away because I was like, it only takes like 15 seconds of my time, but it decreases so much stress and stops me from having, feeling like I'm complaining about another thing. Is that like the right or the wrong thing to do? Probably both depending on the the moment. So I think one thing that can really work is completely dividing up aspects of their household kid load. And so the mental labor and the, the physical doing of that. So in your example, if Nick does all the cooking and you do all the laundry, you know, breaking down for each of you, what is conceptualized as part of the laundry being your responsibility and the cooking his. And then once it's fully kind of separated and you've both got your domains, you do it from woe to go, including, you know, if you're doing the cooking, you've got to be the one updating the shopping list and doing the cleaning up and whatever you've decided is encapsulated in that task. Just like for you, the laundry might, that task might not be completed until everything's away. So Mm -hmm. separating out every piece of it, it's where a lot of people go wrong is they'll do a portion of a set of tasks each or one person's carrying a bunch of the mental labor and the other person's executing. So you see that a lot with sort of after-school activities for kids. So mum's the one often getting the notifications, the updates, they need to be here, they need to bring this item to this training session and then um, partner might be dropping the kids off but you've got all this relaying of information that's got to go so what you want to do in that situation is pick it all up and put it up put it with the person doing the drop off so he's then or she's then got to do the communication and the packing the bag in the morning and then the drop off and I love that about the extracurricular activities and stuff because sometimes if it's like okay cool you're taking them to swimming lessons but if you have to pack the bag, get them. It's almost like, oh, you may as well be doing it yourself. (laughs) But if you pick it up and then redistribute, really consciously it takes a bit in the first instance to do this kind of across different aspects of life but it's really worth the time particularly making sure the mental labor goes with it 
Because if it doesn't, your kind of your your list internally, the load you're carrying isn't actually reduced. It's just a bit of the task at the end, and you're still going to feel as burnt out. And oh so, gosh. what happens if your partner thinks, say, you are a stay-at-home mum, and they, you know, work a nine-ish to five-ish job Monday to Friday? What if they feel that all of these encapsulate being home and being with the kids and they're going to work so like they've got their work mental load so you should carry the kid house mental load how do you explain that's not the same thing because it's just flat out not absolutely (laughs) it's it's unrelenting versus you get to knock off at five o'clock isn't it the fair and equal are different and I think people sometimes overlook that so often we presume a 50 50 split is sort of what we should aspire to you know equality in our relationships is something we hold of significant value right But this idea of 50-50 sometimes can lead us a bit astray, but also the idea of, I don't know, 95 uh, to 5 is also just as problematic. And so looking at each of your individual setups and your overall workload is really critical. So if he's at work or she's at work eight hours a day and you're at home eight hours a day, there's still another, my maths isn't great, 16 hours in the day that you have to divide up and share between you in a way that is effective for you. And this is where the consciousness really comes in. So, yep, you're at work for eight hours and I'm at home for that eight hours. But outside of that, we still both need to be able to manage what goes on at home and with the kids. And that requires mental labor being carried by both as well. It might mean that your partner who's working probably doesn't need to carry, say, the mental labor of scheduling doctor's appointments and activities during the day. That makes sense to be you if you're at home. But there's plenty of other things around the household or in relation to, say, weekend activities you might do together or holidays that are coming up, anything like that that isn't necessarily the day-to-day, that can still very much be shared and you'll all benefit from it being shared. So again, it's about if you sit down together and kind of go, these are the bits during the day that make sense for me to carry because I'm home, but there's all this other stuff that isn't dependent on me being home for those hours. Let's have a think about how we can share that so that we're both contributing to this. And if you have those conversations and feel like things are being shared more, it's certainly going to help the health of your relationship and and help you feel sort of more affectionate and warm towards them as well, which is often a good incentive for partners. (laughs) Now, there's a few other things that really piss me off. And I feel like this is the place to share them. But one of them is when you want their help, and then they say to you, for example, what do you want for dinner? Like asking that question is only adding to the mental labour of us, isn't it? So as in like they take a task instead but of, then question you about the task anyway. Yeah, 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 I'll do dinner. What do you want? It's like if you actually didn't put that on top of all the other information that I'm trying to like sort out in my own mind and you just went off and got something, I would be more impressed with that than you asking me what I want. And I know and I understand that when you're asking me, you want to make sure that what the dinner is that you're getting, I'm going to be happy with. But like if we've been together for, you know, a long period of time, I think it's quite clear that (laughs) you would know what I'm okay with and what I'm not okay with. Or you could say, I'm thinking of getting blah, blah, blah. Do you feel like that? No, just go and get it. Oh, yeah, you're right. No, no if you I'll give them that. one what option, about it's a yes or no. It's a yes I'm or no. Mexican Don't make Mexican. me sit yes. there and think, hang on, let me think what is in Byron Bay and go through all the process for you because you're right, that is mental labour and I'm doing the work. 
So your dinner, your mind, your choice. Absolutely. And again, it's those pieces, right, that are overlooked because they need to know, you know, what time does dinner need to be cooked? Is there activities? How long is available to be prepared? What's in the pantry that you can use to cook? What are the kids eating at the moment? What are they off? All of those sorts of things are going to go into that decision. And if the decision's put back to you, you know, it's it's actually not them really helping. It's the same as the question of um, what do you need me to do? What can I do to help? It's such a generic question and it, it comes from a really good place, but it's just more work. And that's why that conscious kind of redistribution of the entirety of a task is so critical. And that's what really stops those conversations because whoever's in charge of cooking should be doing all that thinking work as well. And then it doesn't come to you on the run and just burden you in a way that you don't need when you were meant to be getting a bit of a break. Do you know another thing that pisses me off is when they say, and this is any partner, like you'll go, oh, I just, you know, I'd want you to want to go on a date or I want you to want to. And they're like, all right, well, what do you want to do? It's like, no, then you get into an argument because you're like, no, I know that you know that I want you to, but I don't want to have an argument because I know you're now just saying it because I've said that you want it. And I know right now this sounds dead mad, but I'm telling you in a woman's brain, it makes so much sense of if they just forward think and understand how much that would make us probably sleep with them a lot more (laughs) well nick and i do a thing where we take it in turns booking the day which is great so the person has to find the time that we're both free book the babysitter and book the activity or the the dinner or whatever because i'm like it got to the point where like it would always fall on one of us and it's like there's no point of being like oh we're both free next wednesday night like can you just organize everything because then it's like well that's not fun um so i highly recommend that if you can i think once a fortnight we try and the other one you still remember to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, one of my friends has a good thing that she, they do not finish a date until they've worked out and they do the same with holidays if they're able to like financially that year. If they're ending a holiday, even if the holiday isn't for another nine months, they don't end that holiday until, until they've cancelled in the next one and they do it with their date nights that they're like, we're not going home from this date until we've pencilled in a time that we're both free to go on the next day. Good systems are the absolute answer with a lot of this mental labour <laughs> stuff. Again, like I said before, they can be really unsexy, super detailed conversations. But once you agree on things like the standards, I mean, my partner and I a while ago had a conversation about who was in charge of cleaning the bathroom. It's the task I loathe the most. And so I really wanted that one off my roster. And the process of him taking that on, though, meant we had this conversation that was like, what's considered the standard that task is complete at? Here's what the shower needs to look like. Here's the frequency. And it wasn't me laying down the law. It was us having a conversation because his standard might have been a bit different. Like where are we happy for this? Yeah, to and it's going it. to yeah. include, I don't know, um, giving the towels a wash. No skitties in the toilet bowl. Exactly. And I think it is hard because I think pre-kids I found spontaneity so sexy you know like rolling over in the morning having morning sex so sexy like a spontaneous date sexy and unfortunately when you have kids and work and everything like if you're relying on spontaneity it's not going to happen so it's like you kind of have to forward think and be like oh when would be a time that like 
this week, maybe don't put it in the diary, but like what's a possible time for us to have sex this week? Like when can we have one-on-one time? Because I just think if you're waiting for it to spontaneously happen, there's like a kid in your bed or like whatever else is happening and it just doesn't happen. But for me, it's the mental labour. If my mental labour is shared with my partners, I can always... Yeah, all of them. <laughs> all of them. I've got more than one. I wish I did, then I'd be way more less stressed. Oh, no, maybe I wouldn't. No, I'm I'd be sure. more stressed. Yeah, sure. I'd have more kids too. Anyway, um, let's get back on track. If I had, if I could share my mental labour with my partner, he would 1,000% have more intimacy. And I said that to him yesterday. He was annoying the crap out of me. And I said, if you clean the kitchen and you did these things that are my love language, like helping me and being, you know, productive, that would get you in this bedroom way faster than what you're doing right now. And he's like, but I love kissing you and touching you. I'm like, and I would do it back, but you need to show me my love language and then I'll show you yours. And I guess the point that Elise is making rather than on the fly having to remind people, because like one of the things that came in so much was like, how can we come across as less naggy, less, less whingy? And I think that that is bad in itself because I feel like society just says wives and women are naggy and so we're all just scared of that even though we're just asking for help but I guess if you did have it divvied up and it's just something that is known in the household well then you know if the kitchen were to be his domain for example if that's not done well then that's his responsibility (laughs) and yet well you can reward however you want but like do you know what I mean like I feel like because otherwise you are each day having to say and it's the same you know except for the kitchen and laundry with other tasks in my house I feel like we need to split them up because otherwise you are constantly reminding and then it gets to the point where you just go oh for fuck's sake I'll just do it myself reminding is a big part of the mental labor right if if the task isn't fully handed off yeah you're still in the back of your mind holding that idea of has it been done has it been done to kind of where it needs to be done and you then you're just not relieved of it so until it's kind of fully split up between the two of you it is really hard for your mental load to come down significantly because you're still carrying it even if you're not doing as much physically and a lot of people did ask like you know I asked my partner to do these things but then they're not done at the level that I want them at so then I go and finish them anyway so getting past that is I guess as you said laying out the expectations at the start but is some of that also just lowering our expectation if we do want the help Exactly. Um, The first one is definitely around agreeing on standards. So making sure that, you know, it's not being laid down as the the way it must be done because most of us don't really enjoy being spoken to like that, but kind of having that conscious conversation together to agree on on what the, the standard of completion is. But then also what can you kind of let go of? What can you drop the ball on a little bit and and let them find their way in their process, which might not look exactly like yours, but assuming you've got a loving, caring partner, they, they're going to be doing the best and they're going to be trying to, to parent and partner in, in ways that show their love. And that might not look exactly like 
it would if you were doing the task. But do you want to be right or happy? Both. <laughs> when I was when I was reading these questions that were coming in, I actually got a lump in my throat because I could not believe the amount of women that were asking, how can we communicate with our partners without whinging, complaining, nagging, attacking? Like this is what was coming in, that that's how we sound when we're asking for help. So I actually spoke to my mum about it and we were having a conversation going, why do you reckon that happens? And for me personally, I think it's quite simple. Like I tell my partner, hey, can you do this? He clearly doesn't listen or he doesn't want to do it. So then I'll ask him again. And then a few days later, I've probably asked him again. And all of a sudden, he hasn't done that. So that is classed as nagging, which is absolute bullshit. But that's what I was saying before. I just think it's society and like part of, you know, like sexism in the past and ongoing now that it's like the minute a woman asks for something more than once, it's nagging. If your male partner asked you something a couple of times, you might you find it annoying, but it wouldn't it wouldn't automatically be classed as nagging, whinging, complaining. Like that's just the way that society has portrayed women. So what are some constructive ways we can self-regulate our emotions and frustrations when communicating with our partner? I think one of the things from a communication perspective when making that ask of your partner, as difficult as it sometimes is, might be to say, what's going to be your process to remind yourself or make sure this is done because I don't have the capacity to follow that up and finding a way between the two of you where that doesn't sound harsh, but just sounds really kind of clear and boundary that I'm asking you to do this thing. I need you to phone up and um, book the, I don't know, air conditioner repairman or something, but I, I don't have it in me to check in two days time if you've done that. So what's your process going to be around that? So I think that sometimes can help. And then in terms of regulating your emotions around how you feel when you're let down, I think the key thing is expressing the actual feeling versus the kind of anger that's sitting at the top. So often it's that disappointment, not feeling valued, feeling overlooked, uh, your contributions not being recognized. It's often a lot of those sorts of feelings. So being able to drill down and say to them, hey, when I had to follow you up because you hadn't made that phone call, I felt really let down and like we weren't a team and it's really important to me that we are a team. How do we make sure this doesn't keep happening? And so it becomes more of a global conversation than an issue-specific conversation and that hopefully helps it stop occurring so repetitively. It's a nice way of doing the I'm not angry, I'm disappointed yeah. chat that we all got as children but a little less condescending. Absolutely. We want to avoid the condescending if we can. What did you find in your research? Because, you know, I think it's great that there's, you know, so many working women nowadays, you know, there's a lot more opportunities after kids for us to go back to work and that's all great and we're told you can have it all. But really what I think anecdotally is you can have it all but that also means you do it all too like did you find that when it's a household that there's two working parents that you know if it's a heterosexual household the female like is still doing much more than the male counterpart even though they're working like what does that look like so I only looked at couples where both were working because I wanted to really focus on that kind of demo and how that's being negotiated because it's more and more the norm 
And I guess there were two trends. There was couples who were doing it pretty well and couples who were really struggling. And the couples who were doing it well had taken these sort of transition times and used those as opportunities kind of without even really realizing that they'd done that to more consciously sort of redistribute who was doing what. So that might have meant that when one partner goes back to work part-time or when kids start school or when there's these sort of major changes to each person's time availability, they kind of re-looked at their life structures and who was taking care of bits and pieces so that that load was shared in a way that made sense for them that was also really conscious and, again, not necessarily 50-50 but in a, in a shared distribution that really worked for them versus couples who hadn't really thought about that and had kind of carried on the way they had as though one partner still was at home and not working. Mm. And that was where uh, women were far more likely to experience anxiety and depression and, and really be struggling and overwhelmed because their load hadn't reduced but they'd added in this work piece. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. Sometimes it was partners who say were working shift work or were working away. So the logistics of life was really complex. And other times there was some entrenched gender roles, some perspectives for either person that this was a woman's role and this was a man's role and there wasn't much wiggle room in that. And if that's the case for you, there's probably a need for some additional support. You might need to see a therapist or something together to figure that out. But for a lot of people, it was about be conscious, really take those opportunities around transitions and use those as platforms to think about what will really work for you in this phase of life. And I'm finding even now that practice makes perfect because we went from my partner working and me being a stay-at-home mum to us having more of a 50-50 kind of relationship with work and life and kids And what I started noticing was I had this like guilt almost when I would ask him to do something when I was leaving the house. So I would say to him, hey, I wouldn't say to him usually, hey, would you mind cleaning the kitchen, putting this away, doing this and this before I get home? I would just do it myself. Now that he's 50-50, I even get this little giggle and go, oh my God, I'm just going to say it and see if he does it. And nine times out of 10, absolutely he will do it because I've communicated that is what is important to me. So if I say, hey, babe, as I'm running out the door, can you just make sure that the dishwasher's unstacked and this, this and this is done before I get home? It would mean a lot. Get in the car. He does it. And it's it seems like a scary thought in my mind. I don't know why because he doesn't yell at me or anything. It's just that I always owned these jobs in my head and now I'm starting to delegate and share these responsibilities and in return it's actually working so I feel lighter in this happening but there are weeks and days where I feel like I'm really independent and I can do everything and I burn myself out so I have to remind myself time and time again even if you can and think you can do it all you still need to share these responsibilities because you will get burnt out and they also like to have and feel like they are helping in a way. And sometimes we have internalised those standards of, you know, what a mother should be and what a working woman should be and we hold ourselves to these really unrealistic ideas and then feel like we're kind of dropping the ball and 
not showing up for our kids and our partners if, you know, things aren't perfectly clean and the kids don't have matching socks and things like that. (laughs) And so letting our standards shift as well to ways that are more functional so that we can do those things that mean something to us. We can have those jobs or have those interests outside of our family life. And we're still just as good as of a partner and a mother and probably if not better because we're more rounded out and have actually other interests and things that fill our cups. But yeah, sometimes that early phase of transition is really hard and we feel like uh, really torn about those changes. And I feel like for so long it's been modelled that the great mum is the selfless mum but who also has her shit together. And I think it's somewhat, I mean, for me personally, it's impossible to be selfless but also have my shit together because if I'm not doing things that are inherently selfish for me, which then in turn become selfless because I am a better mother, like we've just, I just think we've been sold this false narrative for so long that, yeah, the good mum is the selfless mum but also has the perfect house and, and it's impossible to be present with your kids, have a clean house, keep your partner happy and keep you happy at the same time. It's just not possible. It's the label that they gave it actually. It's called intensive mothering is this idea that we should mother and parent in this way where our kids get every ounce of our energy and we're trying to optimise their development and throw all our resources time-wise, emotionally, financially at them and that's what a good mother is. And it's fucked because you can't do that and be a good partner and and actually feel like a human yourself. And so the more we kind of break down that idea and and really work to this notion of good enough across these domains is going to make you a much more happy, calm person and, and make your life feel a lot more fulfilling. Well, what I took out of one of our podcast episodes was that you only really need three 10 minute like one-on-one moments with your child a day. I think it was only three, three minutes. Oh, fuck, even better. <laughs> there you go, see? You don't even need a lot of one-on-one time to really like go, okay, I am, I've done enough and I can move on. And it, like every time I think about it, I'm like, that does go for a long time. Have you ever actually sat down for more than three minutes? Oh, it's a long one time. One on one and had like a full on. That's like, a long tea oh, out. In the newborn phase, it's a lot more than three minutes currently. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I love what you were saying about the reassessing because I feel like that's all the times that I've had my biggest trip ups in motherhood is when something's been working really, really well. And then I get so down on myself because it's no longer working. And I'm like, why am I feeling so stressed and exhausted? And whether that be like, you know, your baby starts to crawl. So all of a sudden, like you're not getting as much done because they need supervision because maybe they're also pulling to stand or or whatever, or there's a change in daycare or a change in your job or sleep regressions or whatever. And I feel like it is so important to realise in parenthood especially, but I guess life in general, that like things are going to change. And yeah, you may have divvied it up perfectly, but then I don't know, like, for example, if the kitchen is your domain and then another child suddenly does solids, like all of a sudden that's like a really big extra layer on top of the domain you were already doing because there's a whole nother human to cook for and they they might be eating something different to what the rest of the family's eating, as an example. Yeah, so I think the reassessment and the coming back and having the unsexy like kind of team meetings is so important. 
And once you've sort of done that style of conversation once or twice, it gets a lot quicker and easier. So you've got a bit of a scaffold and you both kind of understand what that redistribution involves and the bits and pieces that need to be assessed for that to be done well. And so it gets a lot quicker and easier the more that you do it. And it's something that in the course that I'm putting together, I'll really step couples through so that they've got some guides as to how to have those conversations really effectively. Can you give us an example so we can communicate our emotions with our partner without them feeling like self-defensive? Like, you know, you don't want to walk in there and say, oh, my God, I just am asking for two simple things. Like, can you please just, and then all of a sudden it's like, I do this, I do that, and it's he said, she said, and then it's just, it hasn't even Like, do you think the first time you have this conversation you should almost book it in so you're both, like, present Yeah. So like, how would you book it in? And then how would you start the conversation so that no one's starting the conversation kind of, as Jade said, like feeling defensive? Yeah, it's a really good point. A reactive conversation is probably not going to go so well, even though we're all humans and that'll happen at times. Ideally, you want to set aside some time where you're both going to be able to focus. So maybe when the kids are in bed or if they're at daycare, depending on your setup or school, um, set aside some time where you can properly talk about this. And then have that conversation of, I'm finding myself overwhelmed, burnt out. There's so much on my mind. I know you're doing a lot too, but I just thought it might really help us if we think about our overall loads across the house and the kids and have a think about how well that's working for us both at the moment. And so maybe we'll run through the key tasks that have to occur across those two domains and then look at the thinking work that goes with it and make sure that firstly, whoever's doing the task is also doing the thinking and that the overall load is working for our setup at the moment, depending on how much we're both working and, and who's home and the like. And that would sort of be how I'd set up the conversation. Good. I'm going to put that in a video, Graham, and then everyone's <laughs> going to set that on their table and listen to it. And mime. That. They're going to mime and pretend it's coming out of their mouth. <laughs> it's a free psychologist appointment, everybody. But yeah, that setup should help get you on a, on a reasonable track to be able to look at it more thoroughly. Sometimes you'll need a bit of work on your communication skills and things. But remember here, you're a team and ultimately you want the team to be working more effectively so that you're both happier, more settled and things are a bit smoother. So doing the work now will pay off and hopefully get those kinds of returns for you. And do you think it's worth having some of these conversations when you are pregnant or do you think it's something that you probably can't envisage or plan out until the child is actually here. Pregnancy is another transition, right? Having a child is another transition, but there's still plenty of mental load before you have kids around household and life and other things. So if you get into good habits uh, while you're pregnant or even before, depending on whatever stage your relationship's at, that's going to pay dividends later because you already have that established language and you're already used to thinking about your overall loads in that way. So if you can start during pregnancy, absolutely. But the other thing during pregnancy is get them to read some of the books too and listen to some of the podcasts so that that knowledge gap isn't so wide from the get-go. And again, that'll pay off hugely. And I guess you can use, I get like, you know, towards the end of pregnancy, you're generally a little bit less physically mobile. So you can kind of practice that delegation and yeah, the divvying up of tasks because there will be tasks that you will no longer be able to do that you potentially could do before. Exactly. So it's practice. How good. Practice, practice. And no one can, you can't, you can't get angry at a pregnant person asking you to do something. Well, I'm sure they do, but you know, that's just rude. You can, but you'll get quite the reaction. Yeah. 
Can we talk a bit, a lot of people wrote in about the feelings of being touched out. Can we talk a bit about, you know, if you know about the psychology of that and is that just because of the mental load that we already have that putting in affection is just another tick box that we just can't bring ourselves to tick? Yeah, it certainly can be. It's often a signifier that things are a bit off in terms of what you're sharing and your overall load. So if you're touched out, if you're struggling to listen about their day or something that's going on in their life, that's giving you some information that your cup is overflowing and you probably need some time away. In the wrong way. In the wrong way, yeah, not the good way. So, yeah, you need to look at what's going on to fill your own cup. You need to look at that overall load and those things will often help you feel more able to be present with your partner to want to give them affection because a bit like we don't like them sort of, you know, responding to our ask for a date, like you said, Jade, and going, well, what do you want to do then? They also don't like us going, well, I'll give you a hug because you asked for it. Yeah, they want that kind yeah. of genuineness True. of response. And that can only typically come when you've got the capacity and when it's free-flowing because that's the feelings that you're having. And that normally will only come when you're freed up to actually have a bit of space. I'm pretty sure my husband would be okay if I had sex with him because I he wanted me to. No, but my husband did say you don't understand how much it means to me for you to initiate. Yeah. It would be like think about <laughs> this makes us sound like <laughs> such boring human beings. But imagine if he just cleaned the kitchen without asking. He initiated it. That's it's what the I said same feeling. I said if you clean that, you can storm right into this room <laughs> and I'll be on all fours. No, I'm I thought you were about to say spread eagle and I was like, fire out the visual. Uh, No, we'll we'll ramp it up. We'll ramp it up for that clean kitchen. Definitely all. But it absolutely goes both ways. When you're feeling good, when you're feeling connected because things are feeling like you're actually in a sort of shared setup, you're both going to be so much more willing to gift the other person those things that they need. And you'll be happier as a result. Something I definitely learned when I had my second child, and I, I would never tell anyone how they should or shouldn't feed their child, but, um, but, you know, every time we've spoken about mixed feeding, people have been like, thank you so much for talking about that. But something I found really difficult with Poppy, my first, was that when I finally carved out the time to have time for myself, because I was breastfeeding, I found the logistics of getting out the door almost so stressful that it wasn't worth then what I was doing on my own so for example if I was like cool I'm gonna go out for lunch with my friend okay but that means that before I go I'm gonna need to have pumped this much because she's gonna definitely have a bottle while I'm gone and I'll need to have a spare to make sure that you know if she wakes up early from her nap or something and it got to the point where I was like I'm beyond even going for lunch Mm. so with Goldie much earlier I just said just give her formula while I'm out. And, you know, it's totally fine to give formula all the time, but I was breastfeeding Goldie. But I was like, just give her formula while I'm out so I'm not thinking about shit. Is there enough milk in the freezer? Have I pumped enough? Do I need to start pumping like three days before the activity is even going down? It meant if Nick came home early at the drop of a hat, I could leave yep. rather than it being planned out. And I'm just like, if you find that you're, you feel like you're bound to your home and your child is bound to your boob, it worked absolute wonders for me. My sister-in-law, Greta, which is two episodes back, who is a single mama of two with a newborn, said to me the other day, I feel like I should maybe give her like formula, but I just feel bad because I want to exclusively breastfeed. And I said, 
I can understand that is how you feel because that is how we are in the society making mothers feel that we should feel guilty for doing different feeding. But my goodness, I cannot believe. I just said, look at your load. Look at your mental and physical and emotional load. Give yourself a goddamn break. I said, I, on my second child, did mixed feeding and I did breast and I did formula and it was purely for my mental sanity. I needed that break and mothers need that break. That for her, if she had her ex-partner and said, here's a bottle of formula, not, not only is she getting that break, but he is also feeling secure in the fact that he has something there to help that child while she isn't there. So I just think that I know we talk about it, but the stigma of trying to do this perfect breastfeeding journey, if you can, awesome. If it's working and you feel positive and it's really doing like you good, well, that's great. But like just take the pressure off. Take the pressure off. And sometimes this is where our partners can be really great assets is we can get really stuck in those ideas of what a good mother should be like we were talking about before. And sometimes when we put those issues to our partners, they can help us really come up with ideas that are out of the box and us and our girlfriends can do the same thing. But men are often not bound if our partners are male by those same standards. And they can say things like, well, yeah, why don't we have a couple of bottles of formula or why don't we do this? And you kind of go, oh, I genuinely hadn't thought of that, but why wouldn't we? That's a great thing that we could try. And so sometimes our partners can be such assets in really coming up with different solutions that free us from some of those ideas about what a good mother should do. And as much as it's unfair that often they don't feel the, you know, the guilt that we feel, it can almost be good to lean onto someone who doesn't have the guilt, who can step probably a little bit more outside of the situation and go, oh, well, you have all these other options. Um, Have you thought about reaching for any of them? One of my research participants told me a funny story about the who packs the bag for an outing for the child was one that come up a lot. Mums are much more likely to make sure it's fully stocked and everything is in the bag that you might need. And dads will just duck out the door with pretty much nothing a lot of the time. And I said to one of them, but what do you do if you need a nappy or the the kid wrecks their clothes? And he goes, oh, I just got to another parent and say, have you got a nappy I can have? And I thought so many women just wouldn't do that and, and power to those who do, but it's not something as naturally that we sort of feel as free to do. But sometimes I'm not saying don't pack the bag, but these kind of ideas and these creative solutions can actually really get us thinking differently and free us in a lot of ways too. Because mm. often if you're out and about and you've forgotten something, there is another option. Like one of my kids did a bush poo at the park once and I hadn't brought any wipes, so I had to wipe her butt with my face mask. <laughs> this was during mask parenting, <laughs> And I was like, oh, guess that's going to have to go in the bin. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. But she was fine. (laughs) Do you have advice for mothers struggling with mental health now that can't wait two to four months for a psychologist appointment? That's a tricky question. It is a, it's a big problem at the moment, wait list to see people. There's no easy answer. Unfortunately, there are some great resources around, you know, Lifeline and and things like that. That doesn't need to be an acute crisis to use services like that. And, And Panda is another great one. The other thing too, is talking to your GP about the options that that do exist. There's some online um, psychology providers now that sometimes have reduced availability. So that can really help get in to see somebody sooner. 
But the biggest thing is talk to the people in your life who really care about you. And even though they're not professionals, you can start to feel supported and seen for what you're struggling with. And sometimes that can help until you can kind of get yourself in front of somebody who can help more at a professional level. But there's no doubt that is a reality a lot of people are facing at the moment and it's really tricky. But speak to your GP, speak to the people in your orbit and and try and get things moving as quickly as you can. It's better to book something and have it than keep waiting and hoping something comes up sooner because that often doesn't eventuate. I guess book something and then just hope maybe there's a cancellation or something. Exactly. And and talk to people in your orbit. Who have they seen? Who have they found helpful? The beauty now of telehealth is is fully funded by Medicare in terms of the rebate that you get. They're not going to cancel that anytime soon. And that's opened up scope for psychologists across Australia. and, And that is doing some things for availability as well and I imagine that's great for people in rural areas as well because I know like I've got quite a few friends who they see a psychologist in Sydney and they just zoom with him or her every however long and I imagine that's just opened up so many more options for people in rural Australia as well absolutely and also if you are genuinely in a crisis and you just don't know what to do and who to speak to you can walk right into a hospital and they will take care of you absolutely always that option and and take that you know act sooner rather than later if you need help get in front of those sorts of people and they will help well thank you so so much for your time today um i just think this is such an incredibly important topic we have done an episode on it before and i think it's been our episode that has got the most feedback ever and i don't think we could ever talk about it enough Mm. so thank you so much i guess for coming at it from a slightly different angle to how we've spoken about it before i'm definitely going to put in place some of your communication tips and tricks and um, delegation tips as well because yeah I think it's almost good to get in before you have to ask for it I think that just takes another layer off the mental load so thank you so much thanks for having me yes thank you so much and now that you have finished listening to this episode you can refer back to our previous episodes a mother's mental load and mum rage thanks for listening to this episode of beyond the bump if you enjoyed it please subscribe and give us a review if you didn't good on you you can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.